Welcome to the C21 podcast. Today we hear from Cassia Yablonska, Head of Digital Distribution and Monetization at Endemol Shine. Chris Bonney, CEO, and James Derry, Head of Scripted at Cineflix Rights, and the husband and wife duo behind fledgling Yorkshire-based drama and documentary producer Factual Fiction, Emily and Tom Dalton all of whom have been tackling COVID with a raft of creative strategies. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. Endemol Shine Group recently launched theme channels comprising its own entertainment content on TV maker Vizio's ad-supported platform Vizio Smartcast and set-top box company Roku's AVOD service in the US. Cassia Yablonska, Head of Digital Distribution and Monetization, told Karolina Kaminska about the Prodco strategy in creating a new revenue stream with the channels and how the coronavirus pandemic has confirmed the success of its strategy. Endemol Shine Digital Team It's pretty young. We've been around for about only three years. We work really close along the more traditional content licensing team. We share the same catalog and we basically look at this catalog and we figure out what's the best way of making money. Is it either through more traditional deals where you kind of license the content to broadcaster for a fixed fee or you take this catalog, you partner with multiple platforms and you earn money from a revenue share deals or from advertising. Uh, Very quickly, so we started three years ago first with YouTube, Facebook, Amazon. Very quickly we realized that the revenue share opportunity is very big uh, with and with over 68,000 hours sitting in catalog. There is a basically um, endless possibility of packaging that content, uh, launching on multiple platforms and just allowing, in a way, viewers vote with their own eyeballs uh, how much they value that content. Where we do those partnerships, we ensure that uh, we partner with platforms which, first of all, have a broad base of viewers, so the audience is already there. Uh, They have an easy-to-navigate user interface, so it's easy for our content to resurface, to be put in carousels. And also they have strong data and uh, algorithm driven. We give an access to the data so we can understand our viewers' behaviors. We understand how long for each piece of content takes to a surface. Um, so we work very closely. At the moment, we work very closely with almost 20 platforms. And uh, that kind of takes us now to Vizio and Roku, which were the next step in expanding our existing partnerships. Both platforms have all the sort of elements which I previously mentioned. Both platforms have an amazing viewers base. Um, Roku have over 40 million active accounts on a monthly basis and is watched, uh, and people watched over 50, uh, 50 hours per month per person. Vizio have a base of over Uh, 11 million TV sets um, across the US. And also the uh, Vizio Smartcast is a very innovative technology which effectively allows you to access that content wherever you are from any kind of device. Uh, Roku is also quite a sort of, both of them, sorry, also have the CTVs, which in a way is a great way of breaking barriers to entry. You end up in somebody's living room. You don't really have to try and and get through multiple platforms to to get to your viewer. 
And Roku, in a way, is also a maverick. In a way, they actually own their own ad sales uh, serving strategy, and they're one of the fastest growing sort of um, in, in this kind of ad sales programmatic space when it comes to generating revenues. So I would say both platforms are very cutting edge, innovative, and a really good opportunity for someone like Endemol Shine Digital Team, we, which very much looking for that type of partners. Uh, before Endemol Shine forged these deals with Vizio and, Ro- and Roku, um, it struck a similar deal with Samsung in various countries in Europe and in the US. So bearing in mind what you've just been saying, are you planning to target other TV companies and, and platforms? Yes, we are constantly in discussions with multiple partnerships, uh, with multiple platforms around partnerships. As I've mentioned, we, uh, within the last three years, we've partnered with 20 pa- platforms so far. The, the biggest one, which I can mention, is exactly Roku, Vizio, Samsung, Amazon, Tubi, Pluto, um, Zumo, uh, Plex recently, those are just a few, as I've mentioned. We, we started with most of them. We started in US, but we keep on rolling out our partnership to all the other markets they actually are uh, entering. Plus, we also are in discussion with multiple local partners now in both English and non-English uh, language markets. Because uh, as I said, the, the idea behind it is we've got such an amazing broad catalogue. We just want to make sure we get it out there and uh, give people access everywhere around the world as much as we can. Is there an incentive here for Endemol Shine to start producing original content specifically for these channels? Uh, we What we, we do, we specialise in monetizing catalogue at this stage. Obviously, we have one of the biggest production companies uh, in the world, and those production companies directly deal with any kind of request for regional content. So if any of those platforms decide to do it, that kind of would be we would do it in parallel with our production company. But I think at this stage, we prefer to keep it quite separate. And would Entomol Shine consider acquiring other producers' shows for the channels? We actually... uh, we partner with several other production companies where we do so-called content syndication. I would say that's something which is quite normal in this digital first world, and we started now bringing it into what we do to the um, AVOD OTT platforms. Because we have the know-how, we have skills, we have tool sets, we actually talk to other platforms which have, sorry, to other producers which have catalog, uh, they would love to monetize this. They don't have a know-how as much as we do, and they are quite happy to basically provide their own uh, catalog and give it to us so we can monetize it within our channels. Likewise, we then take our catalog and provide to, uh, to the other producers. One of the partnerships like this, we have, strangely enough, with all three media, where they have their inside-outside uh, TV channel, where we provided catalog, some of our catalog titles to sit in this channel, and then in turn they provided some of their titles to sit in our Real Truth channel, which is a factual entertainment channel. The channels that, that you've launched, a deal or no deal channel, the Wipeout channel, DIY Daily and Real Truth Crime. So using those as, as examples, um, why did Endemol Shine decide to launch those channels with those particular themes and formats? 
So again, we take a very broad strategic view that with 68,000 hours sitting in our catalog, uh, we probably need to approach it in this kind of more structured way and package it uh, either in a way that platform is asking us for or come up with our own way of packaging to be able to offer to platforms. So as, as a first step, we actually developed our own genre-based uh, digital first channels like Masters of Food, which is a food-dedicated channel, DIY Daily, which is the uh, DIY-dedicated channel. We also have All Drama, which is a scripted channel, and Real Truth, a factual entertainment channel. Um, those channels are available to pretty much every platform that is interested in launching them. Apart from that, a lot of platforms at the moment, a lot of those AVOD OTT platforms at the moment, is looking for a single title channels, you could say it. Uh, TV brands, IPs at the moment are becoming a destination in itself. So Titles like Deal or No Deal, Wipeout, they actually are highly recognizable. They uh, have a lot of following. So launching them as a single title actually brings a lot of audiences to the table who really want to see it. And we've actually seen it. It's both titles have a lot of success and are driving a lot of views at the moment. With regards to the timing of, of the launches on Vizio, Smartcast and, and Roku, um, was it influenced by the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, no, it was all already sitting in a pipeline where we've been in discussions for a while. However, the pandemic in a way just confirmed our, that our strategy is right. Um, apart from, so on the back of launching this channel, we actually have a very tight, uh, tightly run digital media ops team sitting in-house, which basically brings files from vendors, creates digital copy, which we store centrally in the cloud, and then we distribute it to all the other platforms. And because of the pandemics, as you can imagine, one of the biggest issues was that whether people will be, whether um, content owners will be able to deliver content to the platforms. We've already had those files sitting in the cloud. We were able to very quickly deliver them uh, to, the, to all the platforms. Um, so if anything else, it just proved that uh, going digital actually is the right way to do. And in this time, we exactly, we launched four channels on Vizio and on Roku, and we also launched three channels on Samsung TV. Plus we continue delivering over thousand assets per month to all the other uh, partners. On the subject of coronavirus, what sort of impact has it had on the digital distribution side of Endemore Shine's business? So with the production uh, pretty much coming to a halt and the sales of forming down, there is definitely much more sort of pressure on catalog being monetized, both through more traditional uh, fixed fee deals and through digital uh, ref share models. We saw amazing amount of views um, and just people coming and watching. And from that perspective, that was amazing. However, obviously, there was also a risk um, associated with advertising as the advertisers uh, pulled out from the markets for a while. So we were not really sure whether that content will be properly monetized. But the platforms like Vizio, Samsung TV, or Roku are actually really strong when it comes to making money from programmatic advertising, 
which was the type of advertising advertisers preferred because they, that meant they didn't really have to commit fixed budget. They could just spend a bit of money wherever they felt like this. And that way, actually, it just showed us that the, the partnering with uh, connected TVs is, is a good way of actually ensuring you still get your content monetized in time of crisis. And Entomoshine has also partnered with Roku for in the UK for the launch of the Roku channel. Can you talk about that deal and why you decided to do it? Yes, so it is a part of our extended partnership with Roku. Uh, they're one of our key strategic global partners and we always want to make sure we are on their platforms wherever they launch in the world. UK is a big market for Endemol Shine. Uh, we have a lot of really strong titles uh, coming from here. And as I said, we also want to make sure we always in the sort of avant-garde of this move. We always upfront, we always are one of the launch partners and we get our content in front of the audiences as soon as we can. Cassia Yablonska. James Jury had been in his new role as head of scripted at Cineflix Rights for just two weeks when the UK lockdown came into force and the whole company began to work from home. With production restart looming, Jury and CEO Chris Bonney spoke to Michael Pickard about the state of their business and how they've coped during the pandemic so far. Yeah, I think I joked at the beginning, someone said, uh, you know, Cineflix is the kind of company that will make you feel very at home. Um, <laughs> I didn't quite realise how literal that was going to be. Um, so it had been two weeks, yeah, two weeks in the office and then the rest uh, in my spare room. So uh, it wasn't quite how I envisaged it. But you know what? It's It's been insanely seamless. I think if this was done even six months ago, maybe 12 months ago, it wouldn't wouldn't be possible. But the, the process has been an eye-opener of what you can achieve from your front room um, as opposed to being um, in and around offices and traveling um, around the world. So, And Chris, how has, um, how has just the, the whole business been for you over the last couple of months? Have you had to kind of implement big changes or has it been largely business at, at home as usual? Yeah, it, the, the latter really. Um, uh, we've had sort of, um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we, we've definitely seen both sides of the coin. We've seen the, the spikes of of demand for um, readily readily available content, um, and at the same time, some kind of downbeat messages from broadcasters or regions. Um, but the general view is is quite um, you know is has been quite quite positive. Um, and then kind of launching content has probably been the big the big thing. You know how do, how have we stayed noisy in the market with relevant news? Um, and that's worked well. And marketing team have done an awesome job. You know with initiatives and jumping into stuff like this um has all worked well um and uh yeah sales of sales so we, we refreshed our i mean completely overhauled our marketing platform a year ago and that's kind of made that all work you know uh, that's that was good timing but as i say we're just kind of conscious that it's uh you know it's not normal a lot of people suffering and so on but um but uh but no but, but we've kept on track it's been good we definitely had a good stack of stuff, um, and that's uh, you know. So we were able to launch our spring slate really well, and and we've um, we've been able to keep acquiring stuff that either was um, just being brought to the market to you know to distributors that we've picked up that's sort of um, either delivered or in the process of delivering. Um, but there's definitely some some content that's had a you know a, a stop to it um, mid series and so on. So that I think is going to will impact some availability probably quarter one next year more more like um 
but uh, but no, we've still been acquiring stuff actually. Yeah, we've still been acquiring quite well. So uh, so that's good. Um, but no, we I think we we will. You know, we're already trying to think about how we kind of um, manage the program launching um, going forward and. Um, probably need to spread that a bit more and it's also kind of come through not only MIP TV kind of going through transformation over the last couple of years but now the, the possible um, change in circumstance with MIPCOM means we're probably launching more content through the year rather than so much at the markets so uh, that's I suppose us, enabling us to sort of spread the, um, the the news the good news of new shows a bit more, you know, quarter to quarter, or as and when they're they're ready to to, to be talked about. So that's, that's I think that's that's going to help a bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think also from the scripted side, we were remarkably fortunate um, in where they were in their production, um, and actually the the three new shows that we are bringing through, Happily Married, um, The Minister, and, and Tehran, were at a stage in their production that were unaffected, or if affected, very small um, effects on, on that process. So we were able to bring them through as planned, and they're being delivered as, plan, as planned. And that um, is, you know, we'd, we'd love to say fantastic foresight, but um, sometimes uh, you just, uh, <laughs> we were very lucky in that, that that was the case. And all three shows are, yeah, been unaffected by, by the COVID um, hiatus. Yeah. yeah, no, I was uh, lucky enough to join the the minister kind of uh, launch with the uh, with the, the talent and uh, got to speak to them uh, afterwards. Or being on my internet was uh, playing up a bit that day, so uh, it wasn't as seamless as interview as uh, I would normally uh, have expected. <laughs> but um, no, I thought that worked really well, and I think you're definitely seeing, uh, you know, that that might be something that people turn to, like you say, as maybe people step out of the, the market cycle or um, we'll see what the market cycle is uh, <laughs> over the coming months. But um, I mean, James, what, what are you kind of hearing in terms of now people are starting to get back into production and sort of putting those plans, taking those plans off ice? What are you kind of hearing from the, the scripted industry about how things might move forward from here? It, uh, very, it's very um, territory led. Um, and uh, guidance from the producer alliances, as far as I can tell. I'm hearing everything from, from as early as uh, end of June um, and beginning of July um, to, to getting productions up and running. Um, I still think there are... Um, the, the problem for a lot of productions will have is this new line on their production budget, um, which people are talking about at being 20% around 20% of, of budget in some cases. Um, and that is a huge problem for them. Where and how that is um, taken on by producers, by um, all the vested investors in a show or by the broadcasters, um, I'm not sure. I know Pact and people are working on it hard. But yeah, I, I think that we are, we're coming out uh, definitely and the, the plans are in place, but I still think there's, there's challenges for, for producers um, but the desire is there. People are, are like, I kind of see it like, you know, that when they put the horses in the, um, in the starting stable before a race, I feel that's what we're like at the moment. Everyone is chomping at the bit to go, but we just don't really know where the racetrack is at the moment. So, um, that's, uh, but yeah, I think when it will, we'll be there, I think in the next, um, four weeks, we'll have a lot more clarity on that. And, and, and has your kind of, I guess, development process changed over the last couple of months in, in terms of acquisitions or original productions, I guess, for, for you and, and Chris? Are you, are you both looking at, the, you know, changing the way you work, at least in the short term, or making sort of more fundamental changes going forward? Um, 
I would say uh, at the moment we've had uh, we've had quite a healthy throughput of content that we so um, speaking on the uh, on unscripted front first yeah quite a healthy throughput of new content that's available um, some of it coming from broadcasters who, who tend to help hold back the content until they're ready to to bring it to dis to the distribution market so we're picking some of those up. Um, some others that again producers have just wanted to get their you know their volume and their kind of guarantees sorted and um, and showing us a you know a kind of a COVID proof um, production timeline um, which we're we're jumping into so uh, yeah no, we haven't really had to change uh, uh, plan too much there also because we're buying globally from from all pretty much all geographies I and mean, all the key English speaking geographies. Um, you know, there are different st different stages of, um, you know, of release of lockdown as well. So, you know, that, that's helped spread the, uh, diversify things a little bit, certainly. Yeah, I think that, that covers it. Again, I think um, by virtue of a bit of luck, we've skirted through it quite, quite well. The development pieces have been coming on, but none were due to start production during this period. Um, and those returning shows that were, um, like uh, One Owner Up, um, there were six episodes already in, in the can and that they're waiting on the other six. Um, so we were already quite far into that production process um, on them. And so we'll come out of it quite quickly as well. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of those in production and, and development, it, I mean, I say this all in the context that we are coming out, right? So if, if it goes as planned, then I think we will um, probably look back and say we were we came out relatively unscathed, certainly um, from, as from a production and, and development point of view, um, uh, from a scripted side. Uh, but it, of course, there, if we do have a, if, it, if the, the hiatus lasts longer and there's a sort of Constantina, Constantina effect on production, I think we're all um, in slightly in the unknown because there is obviously limited resources on talent, limited resources on studio space, on location, on, on everything. And um, we just hope that, you know, this is the start of the end of lockdown and we can get on with what we do best. No, definitely. You mentioned, um, you know, there were some challenges facing producers going forward. Are there other challenges specific to your business or specifically the distribution business that you kind of see coming, you know, two, three, six months down the line? The COVID situation is quite quite an interesting one i think um it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword really but from a distributor's point of view because it's clear that there is a demand for content across um, non-scripted and scripted because um the schedules did there were spaces in the schedules which were caused by production hiatus or various other issues um whether it's um you know live shows uh, sport um, so there was obviously opportunities within that for for distributors but, but equally, um, it, you know, as well publicised, the advertising revenue um, was hit quite hard, and that obviously had an impact on, um, on on budgets. But uh, you know, so I think you, the line that you skirt between those is is, is a fine line. We certainly have felt um, the former in that the demand for content has been strong. Um, I'm I'm still kind of not sure whether that is caused by by the COVID situation or this sort of the alchemy of also the launch of new platforms at exactly the same time. And if you think in this period, we've had um, Disney Plus um, obviously launch, we've had HBO Max, Peacock launch, Salto is about to la launch last week. BritBox had a soft launch early last year, but really it's now coming into its own. So we've got all across the international market, 
um, these new um, platforms, which um, whether we were in the COVID situation or not, would have had an impact on us distributors. And in particular, in distributors, you have um, you know content that is that is ready to air. So yeah, I think that's um, I'm, I'm not I can't I'm not convinced on on where if what the impact would have been with or without. Um, but we've been very lucky as a company. You know, we've um, I would say we've we're well positioned. Um, as I said, with the the shows that are ready to air. Um, and the new shows we have benefited from the new entrants like Happily Married we recently announced um, we uh, was bought by Salto in, in France they're one of their first acquisitions um, we are um, due to announce a few more um, shows with, with new, new entrants into the markets in uh, North America and in other markets as well so I think we have benefited from from the, the new entrance as much as we have from having uh, content ready to air. Um, and that, that goes, it chimes with some of the deals we've done with the more traditional linear broadcasters um, like the CW and Channel 4 for the coroner. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's been challenging without a doubt. You can't, the phone calls that you have with buyers, there are definitely challenges for them. But at the same time, there are opportunities within that. And, and, and do you see that changing now? Or was that initial kind of rush for maybe library content, you know, two or three months ago, is that now evolving and the buyers are maybe, um, you know, got more time, I guess, and more breathing room to think about what they might want from you sort of coming up? I think they're probably now, after that kind of you know, immediate search for slots that need filling, they're now kind of looking perhaps more conventionally timing-wise at the new slates that are on the market from, from the spring slates. Um, and making those decisions, so we are getting kind of, you know, feedback and pickups on on the newer stuff. Uh, this is a sort of time you generally expect for that kind of you kind of get into June, and um, and they're looking to kind of uh, use the budgets that are available for um, you know for their kind of spring pickups. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's you know kind of all sorts of questions about you know we normally see the uh, a lot of parts of Europe sort of thinking uh, okay it's summer holidays and the uh, particularly the southern Europeans sort of making plans to disappear for a, a number of weeks but but um, all of those travel plans are slightly different from usual so uh, well we'll, you know, we'll see in time whether there'll be a little bit more availability of, of buyers through the core summer months. I think there'll be uh, also an, an interesting impact um, in the fall season out of the US because um, obviously, the May screenings um, sort of have happened, um, and the outcome of that is still inconclusive. But um, I'm not sure there will be as many shows launched in the fall in the US as is traditional. Um, and so, it'll be interesting to see what impact that has um, on the international market. I don't, I don't want to make projections on that, um, but there are still, I think, the impact of the of the of COVID situation, I think there are some uh, longer streams, uh, even once we come out of it, which will be interesting to see what what that is for, for distributors across international distributors across all markets. James Jury and Chris Bonney, the husband and wife duo behind fledgling Yorkshire-based drama and documentary producer Factual Fiction, Emily and Tom Dalton, launched their business during lockdown. They told Nico Franks about how to kickstart a prodco during a pandemic, the response of UK broadcasters to the crisis and why it could accelerate the change already been seen across the UK industry when it comes to regional TV production outside London. So I'm Emily Dalton. I'm a co-founder of Factual Fiction. Uh, I'm Tom Dalton and I'm another, another founder of Factual Fiction. There's, there's four of us in total. 
And so Factual Fiction is a relatively new uh, UK production company on the scene, uh, set up in, I guess, what we'd call interesting times. Could you tell me a bit about the foundations of the company and what it's been like setting it up um, over the past few months? Yeah, well, I was running um, an indie under the Ender More Shine banner for many, many years. So I learned a lot about running a company. Uh, it was nice to be able to make mistakes on someone else's <laughs> dollar, if you like. Um, uh, and Tom and I had talked about working together, but never done it. And Tom's got a background as a producer and writer. Uh, and then just by accident, almost, we ended up working on a project for Channel 5. It was a scripted drama, which Tom Tom wrote. It came about really because I was going to a meeting and didn't have any ideas and asked Tom if he had any. Um, so I ended up pitching one of his ideas and it was commissioned and we really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed working together. It's a, not a job that you leave in the office anyway, as anyone who works in telly knows. It's something you bring home and bleeds into the rest of your life. So um, it felt very natural and normal to work together. And we're both absolutely smitten with film and TV. So it's something we talk about anyway at home. So we did these three dramas for Channel 5, three 90-minute standalone films across, was it over two years? And it just felt like the natural graduation from that. Things were changing at Endemol anyway, and I had sort of reached a crossroads and had to decide what I wanted to do next. So we felt with the um, regional increase in regional funding was the sort of catalyst because we both have lived in Yorkshire before and wanted to come back up here. Um, never been able to do it before because it just wasn't enough telework or enough of an industry and now obviously with the support from channel four particularly but all the other broadcasters it felt like lots of things coming together at the right time so we were enjoying working together we wanted to be regional and then we got this um, opportunity for some funding so there's been a tremendous amount happening in um, the north of england and particularly yorkshire and leeds to what extent has the pandemic kind of disrupted that progress that was being made or could it potentially you know now the whole industry has been disrupted and there is I guess less of a focus on where people are yeah that's the key that's the key point I would say that less focus on on where people are I mean we're not back into production yet so I mean we're, we're talking about development we're talking about writing or, or whatever it may be but still you see that, that that sort of that breakdown of the traditional way of working doesn't lead to the wheels falling off and so I think that must represent some kind of fundamental shift the interesting thing will be what do people want I mean that's kind of fascinates me because personally you know I haven't I've never worked that's not entirely true uh, when I had a job when I was at uni and I worked in an office but since then I've been freelance I've never worked in an office so it's very hard for me to kind of have that sense of what do people miss? What do people want? And people may have been through this experience and found it positive insofar as what they're able to achieve without entering into a, a very straightforward office environment. Or they may feel like, oh, that's something I really miss. You know, I need that as part of my life. So it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I think for us, because we ramped up right in the middle of it, it's all we know. Yeah. So um how different would it have been? Who knows? And frankly, who cares? It doesn't really, you know, what's the point? It's, this is the way it is. Has it changed our focus? Yes, to a certain extent, obviously, we have to be, we have to be mindful of where we put our resources in terms of the split between um, scripted and non-scripted, with sort of scripted and sort of being uh, up in the air in terms of what will be possible and then how, you know, if you go into production, how you go into production, 
all of these things and so many different ideas. You know, we we had a conversation yesterday with a with a US producer who's approached us with a project, and again, a totally different attitude to what we've been hearing here. He's he's like, I can't make this project under the current restrictions; just not possible. I can't do it. So, from my point of view, this is a project that that ramps up once there's a vaccine. So and he's just going to focus on writing eight episodes yeah. in the meantime. So he, in, the, in the meantime, all he cares about is getting that series uh, written. written. We've kept our focus on dramas that we think in the short to medium term are possible. Um, and the non-scripted sort of opportunities, I would say, because there are quite a lot of opportunities in non-scripted. In non-scripted. So the factual side of our company is, is you know, robust and healthy in terms of the immediate impact of COVID. Um, it's changed how we go about our business, but we are a sort of a COVID company. So, you know. I think it's made buyers more cautious, understandably. Sort of seven stages of grief or whatever it is that I felt there was a sort of shock and then a reassessment. And I think we're still slightly in reassessment. We've, we've had an invite to a, which I'm sure everyone has, the Channel 4 doing a new set of briefings, uh, I think next week. So they've obviously been regrouping, rethinking, and, and we'll see what they say next week. But they've obviously been one of the hardest hit. Uh, I think Channel 5, because they're very lean and very decisive, they're a small team, very close team, and they've that's served them really well. They've been able to make quick decisions and be very reactive, even week on week, adapting. And I think that's that's been great to see. They're driving things at an incredible sort of rate. So when you're going into production on drama and suddenly you start writing in June on two dramas that are shoot back to back in Malta and will deliver at Christmas. It's a timetable that, that a lot of companies just couldn't manage. Like we had a lot of sort of blank expressions when we said what we were doing and the timescale we we're doing it in. And I think that is, that's a product of how Channel 5 do business to a certain extent, but it's also a product of how we like to do things. Yeah, so it was two Agatha Christie films, wasn't it, that you made? Well, three. We, we did two three. last year and one the year before. Okay. and But two were shot back-to-back, so in about 10 yeah. months, is that right? Yeah. So, we, yeah, we, I started writing them in... I thought it was July you started. I think the end of June, so, yeah, probably was. Um, and then we, we kind of transported ourselves to Malta, had a fantastic time in Malta, great place to work. Um, so yeah, very happy to be sort of part of that. And we are not going into production on anything scripted uh, in the you know in the short term. And so our experience in terms of production has been the factual stuff, which is much more straightforward. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about the factual slate. So that comes down on the is that on the good story, Rory, or on the salted bomb label part of uh, the company? <laughs> um, is that to confuse people? It's uh, it's this is just so we can sort of. Uh, manage the the content and the output and so um, these these different labels represent our different ambitions for what we're trying to produce and what kind of content so you know like any kind of brand you understand sort of what you're getting because of the brand Um, and at the moment we I don't think I'm allowed to say what they are but we've got our first commission which is a archive-led show two-parter then we've got a couple of other archive developments from another broadcaster which is uh, great because I feel like there's a sort of support network from some of the broadcasters, which is appreciated. They're trying to sort of find their feet and they're taking us along with them. But yeah, it's a good time to be an archive researcher, I would think. Emily and Tom Dalton. That's all for this week. We're back on Monday with another edition. In the meantime, we hope you're safe and well wherever you are and looking forward to getting back to a new normal. 
My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening.